Hello, and welcome to Life on Maine, a daily podcast of Life on Maine in Charlestown, New Hampshire, where we discuss living life on the main purpose as designed by God. I am Pastor Tim Golden, and on these podcasts, we focus on growing in relationship with God, maturing in the faith through His Word, stewarding our relationships with one another, as well as learning to make disciples as we share the gospel of Jesus Christ. Each day highlights one of these facets of spiritual character, growth, and stewardship, so be sure to come back each day to grow a strong and healthy walk with the Lord. Now, let's see what the Holy Spirit wants to show us today. If you'll turn in your Bibles with me, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 for the remainder of our time this morning. Acts chapter 4. And let me just put your mind at ease, we are not going to be going through the whole book of Acts. All right, but the Lord's been having us stay here just for a little bit because there are things He's been teaching us since Pentecost. Now, let's kind of summarize a little bit. Acts chapter, and this, and I mean, really brief summary. But Acts chapter one, what do we have happen? We have Jesus basically still on earth giving the final commission to the disciples of what they're going to do. But before you go and do these things, disciples, go to Jerusalem and wait for the promise, which was the Holy Spirit. Brings us to Acts chapter 2, where the Holy Spirit is poured out, but only when? Once they were in one accord. Once they were in unity with each other. The Holy Spirit came, moved upon them on a very distinct day, a day that was the celebration of the festival of harvest. Henceforth, the Greek word Pentecost. And God wanted to show, do his little exclamation point highlight thing, that this is what the harvest is about. It's about souls. And so he empowered the church. And then in Acts chapter, at the end of Acts chapter 2, we see that as he did that, they continued to devote themselves to each other, right? To the breaking of bread, to prayer. There was unity that continued to take place. But not just unity, they invested in the lives of one another. And not just those within the body, but also those in the world. They continued to reach out. And God tells us they added, that he added daily to their number those that were being saved. And then that brought us to Acts chapter 3 last week, where we read about Peter and John, not James, as I kept saying last week. (laughs) Henceforth, what happens when you work a double shift sometimes? Your brain just kind of goes on vacation, okay? Uh, So my apologies on that. But, um, But what we see happen is we see them encountering the lame man. Remember that? Man who had been lame from birth, 40 years of age, as we find out later in the book of Acts. A man who Jesus passed by many, 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 many times and never touched him because he reserved it for that day for Peter and John. And so we see that they reach out and they tell him, look at us, you know, we don't have anything to give you. We we have no money, that's what you want, but we'll give you something even better. We're going to give you Jesus today. And so Jesus manifests himself in a very powerful way by healing this lame man through Peter and John. And what happens? He immediately leaps to his feet and can't wait to tell everybody, check this out, (laughs) right? Then he began to leap and dance and praise God. And then his most favorite moment, actually being able to enter the temple for the first time ever in his life because he was no longer lame, because to be lame, to be crippled, to be blind, to be deaf was to be considered the, either a sin of your own or a sin of your parents. And he was freed from all of that. And he danced 
in freedom. Let me ask you, are you dancing in freedom today? Amen. Or are we simply scuffling our feet along, trying to keep our, our healing quiet, right? But he didn't. He went forth leaping and jumping. And he was, it wasn't just Peter and John that were blessing bearers. He was also a bearer of blessing to everyone that would listen and pay attention. You know what? Even though this, that, that didn't, I can bet you he probably went up and grabbed them by the, by the shoulders and said, check this out, <laughs> right? Incredible stuff happening in those first three chapters. Things that get me excited. I don't know about you. It should motivate the church to want to get out and do mighty things for God and to do everything they can to get the word to the masses. But then you have Acts chapter 4. And I think it's important for us to take a good look at this chapter because we can't really understand freedom apart from this. Any more that we can understand freedom in our nation apart from the price that had to be paid. There's that old saying, as we have all heard, freedom is not free. But yet, we have men and women all over our nations, across generations, that were willing to put themselves in harm's way, that were willing to put themselves in a place where they could end up becoming prisoners of war. Many who were locked in cages in which you couldn't even stand up, and you basically had to live in your own feces. Free men, willing to pay the price so that you, can, I, you and I can remain free. And so that others, other places could experience the same freedom. Why? Do we think they're nuts? Do we think they're crazy? Do we think they're off their rocker? No. We mark them as what? Heroes. Why? Because they put others above themselves. They see some sort, of a, some sort of prize as being more important than their own life. And can I tell you right now, you have not experienced freedom to its fullest potential until you get that kind of a mindset. Is that not true? I bet you could ask any one of those. If you were to encounter anyone that was a prisoner of war and say, was it worth it for you? And they would say yes. Many of them lost friends, family. But yet, they stayed. Why? Because there was a cause bigger than themselves. You and I have a cause even greater than that. Because, you know, we can defend this nation all we want, but, you know, there's coming a day when this nation and every other nation will cease to exist. They all had a beginning, and they will all have an end. But can I tell you this morning, the God that we serve has no beginning. He has no end. His kingdom has no beginning and has no end. And I don't know about you, it gives me a whole lot more freedom than the United States Constitution gives me. Amen. And I'm willing to protect it at all costs. How about you? Amen. Are you sure? Yeah. Let's pick it up at verse 1, chapter 4. Now, speaking of Peter and John... As they, as they spoke to the people. So again, what, when are they speaking to these people? This is immediately after this whole situation with the lame man's healing. 
The priests, the captain of the temple, and the Sadducees came upon them, being greatly disturbed that they taught the people and preached in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. However, many of those who heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to be about 5,000. And it came to pass on the next day that their rulers, elders, and scribes, as well as Annas, the high priest, Caiaphas, John, and Alexander, and as many as were of the family of the high priest, were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked, By what power or by what name have you done this? Now, they already know by what name they've done this because it told us that earlier. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, important phrase, said to them, rulers of the people and elders of Israel. Now get a picture. They're arrested. They're being brought before the court. The people that they know sentenced Jesus to death and could do the same to them. Powered with the Holy Spirit. Look at them and say, If we this day are judged for a good deed done to a helpless man, by what means he has been made well, let it be known to you all and to the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands here before you whole, not because of us. That's my little addendum. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. You can say, by which we may be free. Lord God, as we look at this passage, would you speak to our hearts? Would you embolden us to new levels, God? We give you honor and praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Moving in the power of the Holy Spirit. Coming upon a man whom they had seen many, 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 many times. But this one day they get moved and the Holy Spirit says, I want you to touch them. And so in obedience they move in that and they reach out and they touch him and they see the divine manifestation of the power of God. To which God smiles and God blesses. But man, however, had other plans. See, I think that what happens too many times in, in the church is we like to take a look at the, we, we want to have the Acts 1 through 3 experience. We want to come to Christ. We want to have you know, an experience with him where he moves in power in our lives and where he even then begins to actually use us and move in power through our lives to which he builds us into a family to which we, we get knit into relationship with other believers and, and we begin to see God's power move and manifest in our community. And we want that and, and we believe for it. And, but yet, we want to stop at chapter 3 and forget 
that sometimes there's a chapter four. See, sometimes you can be doing everything right, everything that God wants you to do, exactly the way he told you to do it, and what sometimes you, we get told out there through mass Christian media, and I'm not saying all of it, but there's a lot of it, and I'm sure you can agree with me if you've watched any of these major TV, Christian TV networks, and I'm not bashing them, but there's an overabundance of just come to Jesus, be blessed. Come to Jesus, be blessed. It's all about you. It's about what he wants to pour out in your life. And can I tell you, that is not why God saves you. Amen. God loves you, yes. God came to have a relationship with you, yes. But you know what? It is not just about you or just about me. Amen. My Bible tells me that God loved the world so much that he gave Jesus. Not that he just loved me. You know, and, and I understand the reasoning why, we, why we've heard this preach. We've all heard it, right? That if you were the only one on the face of this planet, he would have sent his son to die for you. And I'm not finding fault with that. But what I am bringing us back to is an understanding of this. You're not the only one on this earth. Amen. In fact, I saw something on Facebook posted the other day. I left it on the, there's this Christian humor site. I kind of, a friend and I know some of you are on it too. But I love this one. It's a picture of the universe. It's like, and said something along the lines of, I have a feeling there's coming a day when some people, when they come to the realization that they are not the center of the universe, they are going to be shocked, you know? And, uh, <laughs> but there's so many times that I think we come into church and we begin to have that attitude that somehow it's got to be about me. And then when all of a sudden something bad happens or something comes against us, we're like, God, where are you? Why are you letting this happen to me? Boo-hoo-hoo. And I'm not saying don't go to Christ when you've got those questions. But my question is this. Why are you going to him with that question? Is it because you want him to see things your way or is it because you really want the answer? Nine times out of ten, for me, it's usually because I want my way, right? I'm coming to God with that because maybe, God, somehow or another, you, you missed this. You didn't see this coming, God. Yep. Am I the only one that's done that? Nope. Okay. I think I've gotten better over the years, though. I hope so. Amen. To the point that now it's like I might ask the questions, but it's like, God, I really want to know, what's your purpose? For this. What is it you're trying to accomplish here? You see, even though Peter and John in this passage find themselves taken into custody, aka arrested, not for evil, but just for preaching Jesus. And can I tell you, I think there's coming a day in America you might see that. If and when it comes, are you willing to pay the price? They were, but there was one reason why. Because you know what? The world didn't give them their freedom and the world can't take it away. They could put them in a jail cell or a dungeon or wherever they wanted to put them, but you know what? That still did not rob them of their spiritual freedom. In fact, they took advantage of this moment because even though they are taken into custody, when they are brought before their accusers, they take this moment to act like Billy Graham. Amen. 
they come, they're brought before them in their chains, and there's no cowering. There's no, oh, we're being misunderstood. They basically come right out and say, yep, you know what, what you're accusing us of? That's what we're doing. But here's why we're doing it. See, because we're not here to serve you. We're here to serve God. And God sent his son, Jesus. And we take our orders from him. You do what you need to do, but we're not backing down. In fact, we see that later on, if you were to continue on in verse 13. Now, when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, aren't you glad God doesn't expect you to have to have a degree? Amen. But when they saw this, they did what? They marveled. And they realized at that moment they had been with Jesus. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. You know, the facts spoke for themselves. They had seen him at the temple gate for 40 years. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves, saying, What should we do to these men? For indeed, that a notable miracle has been done through them is evident, as well as to everybody in Jerusalem. And we cannot deny it. So the healing was not in question. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they speak to no man in this name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Don't do it. If you do, this is what's going to happen. But Peter and John, and though it doesn't say this here, I think we can fully add, filled with the Holy Spirit, answered and said to them, whether it is right in the sight of God to listen to you more than God, you judge. Ouch. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go, finding no way to punish them because of the people, since they all glorified God for what had been done. For the man, man was over 40 years old. But then verse 23, being let go, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and elders had said to them. So when they heard that, they raised their voice to God with one accord, unity, and prayed. And when they had prayed down at verse 31, the place where they were assembled together was shaken, and they were all filled with a whole... Hold on, I thought they were already filled with the Holy Spirit. We talked about before, this word for being filled with the Holy Spirit is a word that talks about a continually ongoing experience. As we've said before, we leak. Okay? You give out, you need to be refilled. So, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God with boldness. They were unmoved. They were threatened. They were brought before the judges. But their end discussion was, we're still going to keep doing what we've been doing. We need to. You might want to punish us. You might want to imprison us. You might want to even kill us for it. 
but it's not going to change our devotion. It's not going to change where we're at. Why? Because we have found full freedom in the name of Jesus. Amen. That was what drove them. That's what drives anyone to be willing to lay their lives down for such a cause. It's because of the freedom. But freedom does not come unless we first surrender. Surrendering our will, surrendering our comfort for the cause of Christ. There was a study that was released, um, or a study, there was a poll that was done this um, recently. And it was on the news the other day. There's a Gallup poll. You might be familiar with those people. And what they had to say was this. In the United States of America, the number of people that believe that the Bible is actually the Word of God is a mere 20%. I remember back in around the 1990s, mid-90s, they were saying at that point it was around 33 34%. Folks, it's lost ground. Why? I think for a number of reasons. Number one, we've gotten so self-sufficient, we have forgotten our need. We, we fail to remember that the freedom comes in Christ, and the things that we think now actually bring us freedom actually imprison us. But the enemy has sold us a bill of goods to make us think somehow or another, this is normal, and this is freedom. God says, I have so much more to offer you. We have bought so many lies, even in the church. And I, and I found myself really just pondering this. Well, what would cause us to turn so drastically? Is it all just because of greed? Is it all just because of self-sufficiency? I think that's a piece of it. I think it's also because we've taken God out of so much. For last week, because just like Sonia, I'm one of these people that when it comes to Independence Day, I do a happy Independence Week. And some of you that have probably been on Facebook have noticed the picture on top of my profile. And, and it has the normal saying that we all like to say, God bless America. But you know what? God will never bless America until first America starts blessing God. Amen. And I think we made some strides in that recently through certain things that have happened in our country. But it scares me because of what I hear happening amongst others within our nation in leadership that are trying to get back some of the sins because that's what it is, sin. I didn't write the book. But I think that that ultimately is really where a big piece of the issue comes. I think maybe the reason why so many people don't want to believe that the Bible is the Word of God is because if it is, well, let me first start. If it's not the Word of God, I can accept it as just being a book with some good things in it. And if that's the case, then you know what? I can go through it and the things that make sense to me or that I agree with, I can apply and, and go on. As long as I don't look at this as anything more than a good moral book or a good history book. 
But if I start viewing this as the word of God, the infallible, inerrant word of God, that means I have to accept everything it says. And if I have to accept everything that it says, then that means that the things about blessings, you know, the the nice acts one through three stuff that happens, I can receive that. But I've also got then got to receive the chapter fours. It it means that it's not just about the fact that Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's about the fact that he is a God who calls us to a holy life, who expects us to live our lives pleasing to him, where we're willing to call sin, sin, and be willing to take a stand for righteousness. And understand that this concept of relative truth is is a deception and an utter lie from the pit of hell. And we have to be willing to let it so impact us that we are willing to lay our lives on the line for it. To the point that we are willing, as Scripture says, to go and actually snatch as though we are snatching people from the flames. Now let me tell you what that does not mean. What that does not mean is we go up and we do what we used to do back in the 50s and the 60s with the hellfire and brimstone messages. You dirty, filthy sinner, you're going to hell, you know, unless you turn your life to Jesus, right? I think that's pretty good myself, but no. But you know what I'm talking about. You probably heard some of those, or at least heard maybe your your parents or grandparents talk about that. That is not what I'm talking about. What I'm talking about is the church becoming like some other heroes that we know about in our nation. We call them firefighters. Firefighters are people who are totally free, but literally put themselves in harm's way to give life to another. They are actually willing to run into the flames that could take their very own life in hopes that maybe, just maybe, they can save one. And when that one isn't saved, it tears them apart. I got a chance to witness this firsthand because I knew somebody who was a firefighter, fire investigator. And he shared some things with me that he hadn't shared with anybody else. And, and he said, and he told me, he's like, the, you know, I've, I've been able to deal with a lot of things. But he's like, I'll tell you right now, he's like, there's one memory that haunts me every day. He's like, there was one fire I was called to investigate. And I walked into this home. And I go upstairs. And they go into the baby's room. And there's a toddler holding their teddy bear, burned to a crisp. So as much as I want to shake that memory, I can't. But, he said, but that's what keeps me going in. Because I don't want to see any more kids end up like that. Willing to put your life on the line to snatch another from the flames. Now let's let's kind of play out a scenario, and I don't mean to sound like I'm making fun or just trying to be crack a joke or something, because that's not the case. But I want us to maybe begin to see how irrational we can be as believers sometimes. 
self-included. But lots of times if we use that fire analogy, it's this concept of, well, you know, okay, I'll run into the fire because I know there's, there's somebody there. No, I don't want to see them burn up. And so we run in after them, and there they are. They're sitting in maybe another room, and the fire's right outside the door. It's like we don't go in and try to say, oh, hi, how are you doing? Can I get you a cup of coffee? Can I get you a donut? What's your, what, are you, what are you going to do? We need to get you out of here. Because if you don't, you're going to die. Now, the, as a fire person, you don't go in and say, what the heck do you think you're doing? Get off the stinking couch and come with me. The house is burning up. Are you stupid? <laughs> but yet, how many Christians come with that kind of an attitude? No, what the fire person does is they go in and they're like, look, I care about you. we got to get you out of here. This place is burning up, and you're going to die if you don't leave. Oh, that's okay. I'm good. Okay. Your decision. We don't do that, do we? You wouldn't do that as a firefighter. You would do everything you could to compel them. You've got to come. You'd grab them by the arm if you had to. Let's go. Let me help you out of here. Because frankly, you're not going to see your own way out because of the smoke. Despite what movies like Backdraft and Fireproof want to portray, you get into that kind of environment, you see nothing. That's why they go in with a lead. They go in with a lifeline that's attached to somebody else out there. That's why we need the body, folks. They're our lifeline. But we need to be able to have that, and we go in for the people, and it's like, because they're not going to be able to find their way out. But you grab hold of me, we'll leave together. That's the picture that God's painting for us here. Being willing to go into harm's way, that firefighter knows as soon as they walk in that building, they may not come out. But they make peace with that before they ever go in. And you know, a lot of Christians, I think, today need to learn to make peace with the fact that even if God calls me to go to the grave for him, I'll do it. And I think we'd have a whole lot less fear when we encounter the hardships in our lives. We'll be willing to go to the nth degree for that person. Another real-life situation that we experienced was an individual, and some people know the person, so I'm not going to mention names. But the person lived, actually, how many remember the, the, the flood that we had from Katrina up here? It kind of separated everything, made some areas islands. Well, we knew a gentleman who lived on the Saxons River, between Bellows Falls and Saxons River, Vermont. Actually, it might not be the river, it was a creek. And he was in there one day, one evening, and all of a sudden he hears a big banging happening on his trailer door. And he goes to the door, and they're standing there. I forget if it was an officer or a firefighter. Come, we got to get you out of here now. No time to talk about it. We've got to get you out. Because if you don't, you're going to die. Well, just let me get my dogs. No. We need you to leave now. It's that desperate. 
So he quickly left, and he hadn't gotten out of the house very long, and his trailer got swept down the river, down that, um, what was a creek. Never did see his dogs again. It tore him up, and it still bothers him to this day. But he is so grateful that his life was saved. That somebody was willing to tell him the hard thing, leave your pet behind. You got to get safe. Do we see that kind of urgency? Because do we understand that as you read through the Bible, I've yet to find anything, as I've been reading through a lot of and doing some studies on, on the end days, there's not one prophecy about what's going to happen in the end days that is not already being fulfilled in one way, shape, or form. Folks, the time is very, very short. I have no idea how short, but you know what? They felt back in the disciples' time that that was the last days. And my parents thought it was the last days that the Lord was going to come before they passed. You know what? They both passed. But you know, even back then, we could look at Scripture and it's like, yeah, well, most of this stuff has kind of come true, or I can maybe see how this can maybe fit. You don't even have to, th you don't have to use your imagination anymore. It's all there. So, folks, let me say this. He could come tomorrow. Let me put that in the illustrative terms that we've used. The house could be burned to the ground in the next five hours. And that place may be filled with people. What are we doing? Are we simply standing outside watching it burn? Calling for them, hey, come on out. It's safe out here. Come to Jesus. He'll save you. Come on out. And some of them are inside saying, ah, I think I'm good. There's others who are probably in there saying, I want to come out, but I can't see my hand in front of my face. Will we go into the flames to rescue them? Peter and John did. They got imprisoned for it. But the imprisonment was not an obstacle to them. It was an opportunity to lead even more people to Christ. Hopefully some of those Sadducees, right? And they're not the only ones. Because remember, I think of two other guys, and we'll close with this. You might have heard of them, Paul and Silas. Imprisoned also for their faith. Nothing bad. And then God comes and he moves miraculously and the door, they're praising God and as they're praising, all the cell doors fly open. Now, I don't know about you, but my attitude would be this. God, you've answered prayer, guys. Let's go. <laughs> right? Yep. But their response was what? They sat there. Why? Because they were filled with the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit told them, don't move. And because they didn't move, a jailer encounters, sees all the doors open, figures, great, they've all escaped. I'm dead, so I'm going to do, do myself in because they're going to make it hurt a whole lot more. And as he gets ready to do it, Paul and Silas speak up, hey, don't do that. We're all here. Everything's cool. And through that, he and his entire household got saved. 
Sometimes God allows the bad things in our lives to happen and lets us be put into areas of discomfort because their salvation is more important than your luxury and my luxury. He cares about their freedom. Do we? Or are we happy just because we're blessed? Because we're in a, quote, country that is free. Our country being the kingdom of God. You might be free, but that gives us a responsibility to go out and share that freedom with the world. Are you ready to do that? I hope you are. Lord God, as we think about this, God, I pray that you'd help us to um, understand, yes, that you are a God who loves us, you are a God who cares, but that, God, our calling is not to simply live a warm, cushy Christianity. Our call is to take our freedom to the world. So, God, would you empower us and God, may our prayer be as, the, as theirs was coming out of this imprisonment. Not that you shield us from the bad, but God, that you give us more boldness to move forth and more courage to be able to do what's necessary to take your word to the masses so they can experience your freedom. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We want to thank you for tuning into today's broadcast. We pray that it was beneficial for you. Be sure to tune in tomorrow for another episode of Life on Main. You can learn more about our church by visiting our website at lifeonmain.org. You can also find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash lifeonmain, where you can learn about upcoming events and find links to videos of these broadcasts and sermons. You can also view our sermons on our YouTube channel at bit.ly slash Life on Main, with each of those words capitalized. Thanks for listening to Life on Main, and may God bless you.